Okay. Let's uh, let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we come together and you bring us here, Lord, and Lord, you're worthy of praise. You're worthy of our attention. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we lift this time to you. May our hearts and our ears be open to hear you. May your spirit speak to us. And Lord, we just ask for your blessing. We pray you remove any distractions, anything that we're preoccupied about, so that we can give you our time, our focus, and attention. We lift this to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Now, how many of you are familiar with the saying, uh, hanging on to every word? You've heard that saying before, you're hanging on to every word. You know what that means when someone says, I'm hanging on to every word? Usually that means when you're... um, when you're listening to someone, that you're listening very attentively. You're very focused, right? When someone is speaking, they have your attention. You treasure what this person is about to say. And, and oftentimes, certain situations, when someone says something, you're kind of automatically accepting it as truth, right? You're hanging on to every word that is said. Maybe you have a teacher that way or a professor. When you're, there's a teacher or a professor you really enjoy, that when they speak, it's like truth. Right? You can't wait to hear them. Or maybe if you've heard a pastor, a pastor, when a pastor comes up and speaks, it's like whatever they're saying, you're just like hanging on to everything that is said. Hopefully someday you'll have a pastor like that. You know, that was a joke. Maybe you're, you're like, you're like oh, yeah, I know, tell me about it. There are some pastors that I've heard that it's like they have an accent, and I think it was a Scottish accent, that no matter what they say, I'm just like listening. I don't even know what they're teaching necessarily. No, I do, but I'm listening, but it's just like that accent alone. God didn't give me that kind of accent. But, uh, you know, sometimes when you hear information from the source, you're just like, I gotta, I gotta hear what's being said. Hanging on to every word. My father was one person who I grew to appreciate what he had to say. Now, he was the type of person who's very quiet. He didn't talk a lot typically. But when he did say something, people paid attention so we had to say, now, it took me a while to appreciate it because, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I was like any other kid. When my dad or my parents would say something, I didn't really take it to heart too much, right? Because after all, when you're a kid or when you're growing up, your parents, they just don't understand anything, right? Ever. They're too old, too old-fashioned. They never understand what we're going through, right? Isn't that funny how we grew up thinking that way? And then we're in the role, then our kids think that way, all those things like that. Except for my kids. They know we always are right. Kidding. Just kidding. But they couldn't possibly understand. But there was a time when 
uh, and, and I grew up to understand that, you know, my father had a lot of wisdom. And especially as I became an adult, I wanted to talk to him and hear what he had to say. But there was an occasion where I was very happy. I did not, I'm very thankful, I did not hold on to every word he said. We had a conversation, and he won't mind I share this because he's in heaven. And uh, so he won't mind. I don't know if my mom will appreciate this, but I'm going to share it anyways. Um, we had this one conversation in the car, and I broke the, you know, this is following the, the news that I broke the news to my parents that uh, uh, Jamie and I were engaged, we're going to get married. Now, keep in mind, we were 21, okay? And um, God bless my father, he wanted to talk to me. And so we were in the car talking. Now, mind you that we have never had a conversation about relationships or dating or girls ever. We didn't even have the talk, okay? We didn't have those kind of conversations. But he said, we're in the car. I couldn't go anywhere, right? And he had a talk with me, and he said to me, you know, Michael, when looking for a woman, it's like a buffet, All different types to choose from. Take your time. Why rush? Now, this vice didn't have anything personal to do with Jamie, right? His issue was timing. Why rush? Now, I don't think he realized all that he was saying to me, making the analogy of dating or relationships to a buffet, I'm glad I didn't approach relationships like a buffet, especially if you knew my family and how we approach buffets, right? My extended family, when we go to buffet, I feel bad for the workers. So I had that in mind. He's saying, holy what? (laughs) I'm thankful I didn't hang on to those words, hang on to every word that he said then. Um... But who you choose to listen to and pay attention to is critical in the decisions you make in life, the choices you make, how you think, right? Who you listen to, who you hang on to every word that speaks. And likewise, it's the same way with God's word. How we hear and how we listen and how we hang on to every word that God says is going to be critical in how we respond, the decisions we make, how we live our life. It directly impacts our life. In chapter 4, Mark presents a series of parables that we started to look at that Jesus taught. And if I was to summarize the uh, message of these parables that we saw last week and what we're going to see today, and we see next week, it's how we receive the word, how we respond to the word, and the impact of the word. We started last week about how we receive the word. Last week we looked at the parable of the four surfaces, right? The four different kinds of soil. And how the four surfaces represents four scenarios that represents four groups of people. The four groups of people were represented by the path, the rocky soil, the thorns, and the good soil. 
All right, so we all looked at it last week. In the four scenarios, only or one provided absolutely no growth, no maturity, no maturity of the seed whatsoever, right? One provided temporary growth. There was an immediate reaction to hearing, but then it withered away. There was no meaningful product, no produce. Three of the four provided no meaningful production whatsoever. The path, the rocky soil, the thorny soil provided no meaningful production, no effect from the word or from the seed. And of of the four, only one provided meaningful growth and production, which was the good soil. And we saw in Jesus' explanation that all four scenarios represents people who heard God's word, but how did it respond? How did it, did it have any effect in their life? In the first scenarios, the path and the rocky, these are the people who hear God's word, but it produced nothing. There was no growth, right? And one with the path, Satan immediately, there was the hardness of the servant, Satan snatches the word, no effect. The rocky soil, someone who immediately hears it and they receive it with joy, but when they face adversity, persecution, effects of hearing God's word, whatever was heard withers away and is left with no effect, right? The third scenario where the thorns, the thorns represent someone who hears the word, that the seed grows, but there's no produce, there's no fruit in it. Because the cares of the world, all the deceitfulness of pursuing riches, and all these other desires chokes the word of God. That's someone who hears. They want to hear God's word. But there's no effect in their life. I can picture someone who comes maybe on a Sunday. They hear, they hear it, sounds good, sounds inspiration. Oh, that must be me. But once you get in the car... Then world hits, life hits, your worries, your cares, what you're concerned about, what you want to do, all the things that occupy your time, all that stuff comes in, and it ends up ch- just choking God's word, and it has no effect in our life. That's the third scenario. And then the final scenario is the good soil. One whose heart is of character, One whose heart is like soil that's ready to produce something. For those of you who garden, what's key to gardening is that soil. You have rich soil that allows the plant, whatever you're planting, for the roots to spread and grow to nourish the plant. So when it grows, it produces fruit. So here was the the four scenarios representing four ways in which how do we receive God's word? Which which scenario do we best represent? And I mentioned last week, and I want to emphasize it again this week, that I don't think we're to take that as a permanent condition, that you're either one of these four things and that's how you're going to remain. If you find yourself identifying more with the path or the rocky soil or the thorns, that maybe we need God to start to maintain our gardens a bit more. Be identify those thorns that are choking, that's preventing us from hearing God's word and making an effect in our life. Maybe there are some rocks in our soil that we need to allow God to, to remove out of our life so that we can be able to receive God's word, right? 
So how we receive God's word. We're picking back up in Mark 4.21. Jesus will continue in Mark 21, verse 21. He says, And he was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a peck measure, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put out on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed. Nor has anything been secret, but that it should come to light. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. Again, we saw last week that Jesus taught the multitudes in parables. These kind of stories that have a hidden meaning. And even the disciples did not fully understand the meaning of the parables. It was a mystery to them. What did Jesus mean by these analogies, right? What did he mean by talking about these soils? What is that deeper meaning? Jesus taught the meaning to his followers, which included the disciples. But for the rest of the crowd, he left them to try to figure it out. He didn't explain to them the meaning of the parables. Why is that? Why didn't he just share that with the whole multitude? I think it's those who heard to listen were rewarded with understanding. Those who came to hear to listen was given the meaning. Those who came to hear but did not care to hear or listen, they were left with the mystery. And see here, Jesus uses, he follows up that parable, he uses the analogy of lighting a lamp. How a lamp is not lit only to be covered up, right? You don't turn on a, a, a light only to turn it off or to cover the light. You shine a light for it to be seen, to give light, right? That's the whole point. But Jesus says in verse 20, 22, for nothing is hidden except to be revealed nor has anything been secret, but that it should come to light. Jesus talking about what was being hidden by certain hearers will eventually come to light. What is Jesus saying here? He's declaring his word will not be kept a mystery forever. The meaning of Jesus' message will be revealed and will come to understanding. What was hidden will not remain hidden. So Jesus takes the parable. He talks about how some of the things were not explained. There's a a mystery there. But he says eventually it will be brought to light. And he says, like he says in verse 9, If any man had ears to hear, let him hear. If you come with ears to hear, let him hear. Now I pray for all of you each Sunday morning. And not just Sunday morning. But I pray that all of you would have ears to hear. To hear. Not that you would come to listen to me, like me personally, but I pray that you would have ears that want to hear the word of God. That's what I hope for you all. That your anticipation, your expectation to come to church every Sunday is that you would hear God's word to you. That's your expectation. And that's what I hope. That we have ears that we want to hear, we want to listen. What does God have to say? You're not, you may not get a bunch of laughs. You may not be as entertained with other things, what you could be doing. I mentioned before one of the hangouts when I was in high school and I was thinking about what I should do. And the thought of being a missionary or a pastor was just like the last thing. 
Because I knew if I was going to be a pastor, that's Sunday mornings. And that's when I watch football. My favorite team is on Sunday mornings. How am I going to watch football if I'm going to be a pastor? We think of all these things we would rather do. But I pray that each Sunday you would come. You may not be entertained by everything. Right? It's not like watching a Korean drama. Instead, you're just watching some Korean guy just sharing the word, you know? I don't know why that was so funny, but... I used to joke with my kids when we would go to a drive-thru, we'd go to like Burger King or something. We'd laugh about, hey, what if we go and when we order, we pull up at a burger and say, hey, can I have a Big Mac? See what they say. I don't know if we ever did that. Pull up at a Taco Bell and ask for a Whopper or something. Try it. Tell me how that goes. But see, when we come to church... We should know exactly what we're looking for. We want to hear God's word. And not just on Sunday, right? We want to hear God's word. There's no mistaking it. And yes, there's other good reasons to come to church, right? We want to come because we want to worship God. We want to have fellowship with other believers in Christ. We want to learn how to serve God and serve others. We want to learn how to be a light to those around us. Those are all good reasons. Good reasons that we should have. But we should also, and we want to highlight, you know, we want to come to hear and listen to God's word. We want to get to a place in our hearts that that's what we desire. We want to hear God's word. We want to know God's word. So just in chapter 4 of Mark alone, and my study of Mark has been kind of interesting, in chapter 4 of Mark alone, this stretch of verses, Jesus mentions listening or hearing 12 times. Now you think, well, what's the big deal with that? For us growing up, if your parents said something to you twice, kind of important, right? If they repeat say, saying something to you, they mean they really want you to pay attention. If they tell you 12 times, that means wake up, right? Pay attention. This is important. Jesus mentions listening or hearing 12 times just in Mark 4 alone. The charge to behold or see, understand is mentioned 10 times. This is called, when you're studying scripture, emphasis. This is an important thing. Listen, pay attention, understand. And what is it that we're trying to hear, trying to understand? It's the word. Jesus is telling an important lesson. Listen, pay attention, be seeing, be careful what you're hearing. Verse 24, he goes on, And he was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more shall be given you besides. For whoever has, to him shall, be more, to him shall more be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Jesus encourages, he exhorts, and warns them, 
to see and understand what you listen to. Take time, be careful what you listen to. And he says an important principle. If you listen to the word, more will be given to you. More you will understand. The more you desire to hear God's word, to understand, the more will be given to you. I grew up going to a Korean church from birth all the way to early high school. Sat every church, almost practically every Sunday going to church. Um, And I cannot tell you one sermon from growing up. I don't remember one. You know why I don't remember one? Well, this is not the only reason, but the primary reason why I didn't remember one sermon because it's all in Korean. I didn't understand Korean. And that was during times when English-speaking youth pastors was not commonplace. It was very foreign. So I sat there, countless of sermons, not hearing a thing. Understanding, I listened, but I had no idea what I was saying or what was being said. I did pass a lot of notes, though. You know, we passed notes to each other and stuff. And we had to make sure, you know, the pastor didn't see. Because if the youth pastor saw that you were passing notes or, t- or talking, you know what they do? He'd call you right out, right during service. Call you up out of service and kind of embarrass you and stuff like that. That's how, how it was. That's how, uh, I don't know about any other churches, but that's how Korean youth pastors were. You had to, you had to know how to embarrass your students. You know, that, that kind of happened. But um, I didn't remember a thing about it. Until we left that church and my sister and her, her now husband would take me to uh, a Calvary Chapel. And I would sit in the main service. I didn't go to the youth rooms. I sat in the service. And I would hear actually sermons in English, which was kind of nice. But these weren't these 15-minute bite-sized messages. We're talking like hour-long sermons. And I think I tried to stay awake through all of them. But what it did, the effect, the lasting effect it had on me, was that it gave me a taste of hearing God's word. No frills, just hearing God's word. And it gave me an appetite to just, I want to hear some spiritual sustenance. Not just what I want to hear, not just some fluff, not just to make me feel good about my, myself or my day or my life, whatever it is, but I was taught God's word. And what it did is created an appetite for me. That, you know, when I hear a message or something, I want to hear God's word. I don't want to just hear what I want to hear. I don't want to hear something that just makes me feel good or makes me feel good about life or the fives or how-tos of this, stuff like that. I want to be taught God's word. And it builded that appetite for myself. Do we receive the word? And how do we respond to the word? He says, if you want to hear the word, you want God's impact in your life, then more will be given to you. The more you seek it out, the more he will give to you. Have you ever been to someone's house? So you're invited to someone's house, or maybe it was some kind of gathering, and there was some food there, and they, they served you, you ate it, and they ask, how, how do you like it? And you say, oh, it's very good. And they'll say, what, you want more? I'll give you more. And you may say, oh, no, no, that's okay. No, no, let me give you more. And they pile on the food onto your plate, right? Because they thought you liked it, so you like it, so I'm going to give you more. Maybe your parents are that way. Your moms are that way, right? You want more? Here, you got to have more. 
piling on all the plate of food. God's saying, look, you want more? I will give you more. What an incredible principle. But what does Jesus also say? He warns, he says, and whoever does not have even what he has shall be taken away from him. What you do not care to understand, even what you do understand, will be taken away. That's an important principle to be warned about, too. That's why throughout this whole time, Jesus warns about the hardness of heart. Right? That's very dangerous. That's a dangerous path. If you associate with the path where the word has no effect, there's a hardness there. Be careful. Because there you may come to a point in time where that hardness comes to a place where you don't even want to hear God's word. What you hear, you just forget. You don't want to pay any attention to. Ultimately, Jesus asks us, what do you treasure in your heart? What do you crave for in your heart? You see the pathway of things that we hear. We hear with our ears. It goes into our mind. And then in our hearts, our desires. What we hear, what we understand, and what we'll treasure in our heart. So the emphasis on hearing, seeing, and understanding his word is relevant to us, just as it was to those days when Jesus was talking to the multitude at the sea. He's saying, pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to what you understand and what you desire. So what guides your decisions? What principles do you base your judgment upon when you go out in life, when you go to school, when you go to work, when you're with your family? What do you use to base your decisions? Now, I don't talk uh, specifically about politics much, right? I don't address hot-button issues on a weekly basis here on the pulpit. I may have conversations with you if you want to talk to me about something, or we talk in a small group meeting, we may discuss certain things. But I don't tend to address hot-button topics or politics here on the pulpit because I want the Word of God to take center stage and not just a trending topic of the day. Because I think tendency, if we, we, we touch on hot topics, sometimes we hang on that and we forget or we don't hear it as closely to the Word of God. And I'm not saying this can't happen or pastors can't do this. Certainly, those pastors, you do as the Holy Spirit leads you to do. If the Holy Spirit leads you to speak, then speak. That's how I tend to approach it as well. But what I pray and hope for is that your knowledge and hunger and love for the Word of God continuously grows. And that this will be what you desire to hear. And then consequently, what you hear from God's word will flavor and affect how you see the world around you. How you process what's going on in this world. I don't want you just to hear what I think my take on it is. But I want you to understand the word of God. And know how to apply so hard. How do I see what's going on around us? How do I process this? Many people have asked, how do you reconcile Scripture with politics, right? How do you reconcile Scripture with controversial topics like LGBTQ, transgender lifestyles, abortion, all these things that we see that's coming up on the news, all these hot topics. How do we process this? How do we reconcile our faith and Scripture with our understanding of these issues? 
Isn't it controversial? And I'll say, to me, no, it's not. It's not controversial. If you feel you need to compromise what Scripture says or try to redefine or come up with some justification to whatever is trending, you're probably leaning on the wrong side of the issue. I'll say that again. If you're trying to find some way in Scripture to justify something, an issue or a cause, or possibly try to redefine what a passage is trying to mean, to justify a hot topic or a trending issue, you're probably leaning on the wrong side of the issue. You see, biblical values, principles, and teaching is not a point of compromise. And this ought to guide, and guide us in making the decisions, especially in the political realm, especially in the hot topics of today. It's not just what one pastor says or what issue says. We have to ground our principles in the Word of God. We have to ground our perspectives, how we're to see what's going on around us, by the Word of God. The Bible isn't just inspirational stories. It's not just self-help book. It's God's word, his story, his message to us. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. He says, this is what you need to how to be righteous before God. More so in all the answers, how do we solve these issues in society? How do we deal with things? Who do we vote for? God says, look, I want you to be righteous before me. You may not know all the answers, but I want you to be righteous before me. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. My prayer is that we approach God's word in such a way that we know God's word, that he is the one who discerns our hearts, our thoughts, and our intentions. So we may address certain issues. God, how do I think of these things? That in our time in his word, the Holy Spirit speaks to us and discerns for us our thoughts, our intentions. You may say, well, Pastor Mike, don't Christians, Bible-believing people disagree on things? I say, yes, absolutely. There are things that believers in Christ disagree on. Is there a right answer to those issues? Usually, yes, but sometimes it's uncertain. We don't know the right answers to some things sometimes. But there are some things that should be non-negotiable for the follower of Christ. There are some things that just should not be compromised. We as followers of Christ, before any political affiliation, before any ethnicity, any race, whatever we are, any cultural background, before all those things... We are citizens of the kingdom of God. We have to understand that. That is our priority. Before all the other things, we are children of God, believers in Christ, followers of Christ. And there are some things that are just non-negotiable for the follower of Christ. Right? The protection and sanctity of life should not be a question. 
God's distinction of de- definition of marriage and creation and what a husband and a wife is, a man and a woman, should not be a question. God was not confused when he made us. He did not intend for us to live confused or tormented. You may say, well, Pastor Mike, what gives you the right to say that? Do you know what people are struggling, what they're going through? I say, yeah, absolutely. I may not relate to it, but I understand. What gives me the right? It's not me. It's not a single pastor. It's God's word. It's God's word that's not changing. How do I understand culture today? The Bible says something about that. How do I process and see the racial problems that we see today? The Bible speaks on that too. How do I treat people of another skin color, ethnicity, background that's not my own? The Bible speaks on that also. How do I treat my spouse, my children? How do I, how do I love in my marriage? How do I raise my children? The Bible speaks on that. How do I understand sex, sexuality, intimacy, gender, all these things? Well, you may be surprised here. The Bible speaks on that as well. How do I view political leaders? The Bible speaks on that. How do I know whether to vote Republican or Democrat? Mm. All right, the Bible may not speak on that specifically. But it speaks on the principles and the values that we should have. That should affect the decisions we make in life. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. See, we believe and hold these convictions because God's word is as relevant to us today as it was when it was written. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We rely on the spirit and check ourselves with scripture because we can't always rely on feelings, right? We may feel something is the right issue. We may feel like we're in the right situation. We may think in our perspective we're in the, fall on the right side of an issue. We have to rely on the Spirit to guide us and give us discernment, and we need to check it with Scripture. Check it with God's Word. I'll end with this. Hebrews 5. It says, Concerning him who we may have much to say, And it is hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. Here's the author of Hebrews. He's writing to this this group of believers. He says, you have become dull of hearing or slow of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles or the mysteries of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. Not babe as in, you know what I mean, right? Okay. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. He says you don't want to be slow of hearing. And notice the author says he challenges the community of believers. He says you ought to know by now. By this point in time, you ought to be teachers of the word. Yet you are like babies who need milk. You need the basics told to you over and over and over again when you should desire solid food. 
He equates our spiritual growth just like a baby. A baby who needs basic milk. But there's a point in time when that baby grows up and says, give me something more. Milk is not enough. I need some solid food. And he equates the elementary principles of the word as milk. And those who only need milk, they're not accustomed to the word of righteousness. They're a baby Christian. A baby Christian doesn't quite know the difference between righteousness or not. The solid food, the one who's mature, what does it say? He practices, he, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. The mature believer in Christ not only can teach the word, but also is disciplined, he's trained, he, in his senses he knows the difference between good and evil, right and wrong. This is a challenge for us today. For us to consider our own hearts, especially in today's climate. And I've mentioned this many times over, and I want to emphasize to those who are, the, when I say young people, I sound kind of old when I say young people, right? The, those of us who are young people, I'll include myself, right? You're growing up in a generation that is confusing the right and wrong. And they're presenting themselves as the authority of right and wrong. And you're growing up among a generation that knows nothing about God, knows nothing about Christ, knows nothing about Scripture, and is being told this is how you ought to see these issues, these conflicts, and these sinful behaviors. And we as parents, we're so sensitive about our kids that we don't want to correct them either. We don't want to be seen as the parent who just doesn't understand. It's not about what we think, parents. It's about the Word of God. Because ultimately, we stand before God. We are held accountable before God. Do you understand His Word? Do you want to hear His Word? Do you want to get to the place where, you know what, you can discern between what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. When you're a little kid, or those little toddlers, when you tell a kid, don't touch that, it's hot, you're going to get burnt, what do they process? Ooh, forbidden. I got to touch it. You know how many burns I've had over my lifetime because of that? Do you know God's word? Do you hear it? Do you receive it? Because there's an impact to God's word in our life. We're going to take a look at that next week. But consider in your heart, may the word of God be the treasure of your heart. You hear it, meditate on it, and pray on, Lord, how can I apply this? Again, hear it, Think about it. I challenge you to think about it. When you hear me speak, I don't want you to just like, okay, here, now, out, and that's it. I want you to say, God, what do I think of that? God, how can I apply this? How can you do an effect in my life with what you're saying to me? Let's bow our heads and let's pray.
Lord God, we come before you. And I've mentioned many times here at the pulpit, Lord, there's a lot of voices speaking to us. A lot of influences. A lot of people telling us what we ought to think, how we ought to see things, how we are to see our life, how we are to see other people's lives. But Lord, help us to be attuned to your voice, to your word, that we would hang on to your word. That we would desire that like we do our favorite foods, our favorite drinks, our favorite forms of entertainment. And may you grow that appetite for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that you speak to us. We thank you, Lord, that your word never changes. We give you praise. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship.